player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. You've heard of Firm Manager. You've seen ads for Firm Manager. Now you can try Firm Manager free for 30 days at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Firm Manager is the web-based matter management application from LexisNexis that lets you run your practice anywhere, anytime, including your desktop, laptop, mobile phone, or iPad. Take the free 30-day trial today at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN and spend less time focusing on clerical work and more time on practicing law. Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad that you could listen today uh, to our podcast. I'm Attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of uh, areas of law, including civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. Today on New Solo, we're going to talk all about the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and all the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own or you're with colleagues in a smaller firm. Today, we're going to take a new uh, look at solo attorneys and international law as a practice area. Joining me today is attorney Charles A. Whittier. Charles has been a licensed attorney since 1980 and is the managing partner of the Whittier Law Firm from New York. He is a graduate of the University of London Law School. Mr. Whittier is a specialist in the field of international trade and cross-border transactions. Welcome to New Solo, Charles. Hello, Kyle. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I'm going to delve right into it. Uh, For a new lawyer starting out or even a young lawyer who has been a solo practitioner for a few years, how can someone develop international law as a practice area? Well, Kyle, I think one of the first things to do is to distinguish between private and public international law. International law is not a monolith. Public international law has to do with treaties, international agreements, and multilateral uh, um, cooperative uh, proposals between countries. Private international law, on the other hand, is private individuals, be they companies or actual people, who are engaged in cross-border transactions, and they are applying sometimes these very uh, multilateral agreements to their private transactions. And what you're doing is you're representing one or the other party on one side of the agreement or the other, and you are trying to protect their interests as you would in a domestic situation. So uh, to answer your question, I'm sorry, if you wanted to get started, you need to make first that determination. Are you going to be involved in public or private international law? Now, I'm an international trade attorney, so that's private international law. And I would say if you were going to take that as a course of practice, you would first have to become familiar with the terms and solutions of international trade. Um, That's a plethora of things. So perhaps I better let you go ahead and ask me what, if anything, uh, you want me to explain about that. Sure. Um, As as far as the private international law, what what are some resources that would be beneficial in creating or or developing uh, the practice area? Okay. Uh, I would say... 
human resources principally. That is a mentor, somebody who's practicing uh, private international law, in my case, international trade law. Then I would suggest that you become familiar with the principal laws that govern that. That would be uh, United States Code Title 19, which has to do with customs law, and also some of the laws of the individual um, uh, U.S. departments, such as uh, Food and Drug Administration, um, the uh, Fisheries and Wildlife, uh, ATF, okay, um, and they all have laws which regulate the import and export of certain commodities to and from the United States. And what are three tips that you could give to a new lawyer who is building a private international law practice? Well, I would say that one of the first tips is to determine whether you're going to be in public or private international law. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just say you choose private international law because if you were going to do public, you would probably want to get a job with the government. But if it's private international law, then you would, uh, as I say, first determine what aspect of it. As I said, I'm an international trade lawyer. So I'm speaking from that point of view, you would want to first understand as I say, the laws that govern that type of law within the United States. So it's imports and exports, um, decisions from the Court of International Trade, which is a federal circuit court here in the United States. Uh, you would also want to uh, have a look at turnkey contracts. And when I say turnkey contracts, I mean examples of contracts which have performance in at least two different countries. Uh, so you may have a supply contract where commodities are coming from uh, a country in South America and are going to be delivered to the United States. You may have a contract where certain expertise and um, technological uh, uh, technological commodities, let's call it, are being transferred over to a country in Africa. And in that contract, you're supposed to supply plant materials, expertise, spare parts. You've got a contract that's probably going to last over several years. So you need to have specific knowledge or at least be familiar with the provisions of that type of contract. Third, I would say that you need to definitely develop a network of international lawyers, business people, and other resources of expertise. And when I say expertise, I mean linguists, politicians, sometimes bankers, financiers. And the reason I say that is because you will find sometimes that you'll have to give advice on aspects of a deal which have ramifications in another country. So by having a network of lawyers that you can call on, business people, you will be able to properly advise your client as to what exactly uh, would be the ramifications of the country in which they're going to operate. Um, linguists and bankers are important as well because sometimes, although English has become more or less the language of international trade and business, you have clients that still think and formulate their ideas 
in certain in, in their native language. So if you have a linguist working for you who can at least sometimes review documents in their original format rather than translation, uh, you'll get a better idea of exactly what the intentions of all the parties were. As far as bankers and financiers, you have some aspects of um, monetary control that exist in some countries that don't exist in the United States, foreign exchange controls, things like that. So you need to be able to have some insight into those issues. What are some traps for the unwary for newer practitioners starting out in private international law? I would say it's a failure to have a good comprehensive understanding of how international law interacts with domestic law. Also, how uh, what the overall picture is sometimes in a geopolitical sense as opposed to just the strict terms and conditions of a contract. And I'll give you an example. You may have a client that is going to import some caviar from the Caspian Sea, and which has a border with Iran. And unbeknownst to you, they are going to harvest the, the, the sturgeon from the Iranian side. Or there's the possibility that they're going to do that. Well, we have in this country, the United States, pretty comprehensive um, sanctions, trade sanctions against doing business with Iran. If, as an attorney, you're not aware of this type of overall geopolitical situation, you may advise correctly on the bare bones uh, law, procedure, and so forth, and be right on point. But the very fact you don't really know that we've got extensive sanctions and engaging in that deal will open your client up to extensive penalties uh, would be a disaster. So I think one has to have an interest in international politics and the way the world works today uh, to be really successful as an international private attorney. It sounds like you really have to keep up uh, with the information that's uh, transpiring in the world. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, yes. I wouldn't say you had to be a real expert in any one particular country, unless, of course, you're doing a lot of business with that country. But I would say you had to, you know, have a fair understanding of foreign policy, especially I would assume most of your listeners are U.S. attorneys, so U.S. foreign policy would be important to you so that you understood what our relationships were with other countries and where some dangers may lie and where you may have to do a little more research. Uh, uh, a country which we might have had some issues with in the past, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, perhaps Syria is not the best example right now because they're having so many internal <laughs> problems, but say about a year ago. Uh, the United States and Syria were on um, uh, terms that were repairing. However, if you had a deal to ship arms to Syria, you would probably be best to check with the State Department and see whether or not there were any export regulations that you needed to comply with, or if you're going to ship computer equipment to China, you need to make sure that perhaps the State Department doesn't have some restrictions on certain encryption uh, software that you might include unknowingly, but find out later that it's prohibited. So I would say reading the paper 
Okay, mm-hmm. if you read the, you know, papers that uh, really advise the rule makers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Guardian in London, Le Mans, um, you should be able to more or less have a good idea. And I don't want to put people off from getting into this uh, field of law. It's not that you have to turn into some kind of international political scholar all of a sudden. It's just having a good working knowledge of what's going on in the world. Uh, to follow up this line of questioning a bit, are there potential abuses for fraud because it may be more difficult to undertake the, the due diligence necessary to, to uh, determine a client's veracity? Uh, yes, I would say there are some potential uh, abuses that could occur. Uh, but if you, as an attorney, take the same sort of precautions that you ordinarily would with a, a client, I think for the most part you would be able to um, avoid any real problems. For instance, um, a lot of clients that I get actually refer to me from local lawyers in their home jurisdiction. So that's usually a good indication that that uh, party is bona fide and they are really looking to do the business that they say they are. But if you get an individual that contacts you directly, uh, the best thing to do is to take the same information you would domestically, all of their contact details, references perhaps for business, maybe one banking reference because you also want to know that you're going to get paid, and um, ask them if they have ever done any business with the United States or the country that they are inquiring about. Do they have a Dun & Bradstreet number, for instance? Um, you'd be surprised how many foreign companies do have some kind of identity with uh, Dun & Bradstreet, rather, uh, if not directly, through a subsidiary. So although there are some dangers, as you say, they can be, they can be avoided. There are differing rules from state to state regarding lawyer advertising. How can a young lawyer uh, avoid running afoul of international ethics issues uh, in regards to advertising? Well, um, primarily, although you're practicing international law, private international law, you are a member of the bar of the jurisdiction in which you were admitted. So the best thing for you to do first is to follow the ethical practice of that particular jurisdiction. If you do that, you're 90% home safe, home free of any um, accusations that you've breached uh, ethical uh, considerations. Because although you're advising a client overseas, generally speaking, they're asking you about a situation which involves doing business with the United States and you are advising them on how to do that in the context of the international situation, cross-border situation that they find themselves in. Now, that's not to say you couldn't run into some problems. If you are advertising in foreign jurisdictions as an attorney who, although giving advice from the United States, uh, is a lawyer, you want to be sure and let potential clients know that you are not advising on the law in their local jurisdiction. You also would like to talk to perhaps local lawyers there and maybe even the National Bar Association of that country to make sure your advertising is in compliance with their ethics rules. And then I might say, Kyle, just one other thing, and that is you have customary issues. What's in bad taste 
in one country is not the same in another country. So you just want to make sure that whatever you're saying or however you're saying it is not an affront to people in that local jurisdiction. What provisions or advice would you recommend in regards to malpractice insurance? Uh, well, malpractice insurance uh, is something that you definitely need to have as any attorney, I would think. But as regard an international or uh, attorney practicing private international law, you are alluding to a situation which has not been fully developed in the law. That is, the practitioner, are they subject to laws, ethics laws of another country, malpractice laws of another country? Generally speaking, no. If you are not advising on local laws, you're not putting yourself out as a local attorney, then you should be free and clear from any foreign uh, legal malpractice transgressions. But you have to take into account that you will be advising clients even if they're located outside of the United States. And in that regard, you need to make sure that you comply with local professional ethics um, strictures so that you don't fall foul of legal malpractice in this country. And I say that because you get situations sometimes where attorneys in the United States who are familiar with international law and practice will advise foreign clients, but perhaps not take as much care in certain aspects of that advice for fear that by consulting with a foreign colleague, they may lose the client to that colleague, or it will cost them more of the retainer fee than uh, they had budgeted for. And if it's found later that you should have taken that advice and you get a but-for situation, i.e. the client would not have lost the uh, case but for that mistake, then you may be open to legal malpractice by that foreign client bringing suit against you here in the United States. So I would say always have legal malpractice insurance, uh, understand the provisions of that insurance, uh, make sure that it will cover you in terms of advising clients located outside of the United States. And then follow the procedures that you ordinarily would in terms of due diligence and professional uh, behavior. We need to take a short break when we return more with Attorney Charles Whittier. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter. LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're joined by Attorney Charles, a Whittier managing partner of the Whittier Law Firm. Um, Charles, would you recommend uh, a new lawyer start a, a private international law practice? Uh, yes, Kyle, I would, actually. I'd highly recommend it. Um, international lawyers, especially in my field, international trade law, are very few. 
most of the major law firms, yes, they do have them, uh, but they usually are representing very large clients involved in billions of dollars of trade and the, let's call them the medium-sized importer-exporter can't really afford their services. So there is a great scope for new lawyers who are familiar with import-export trade laws and customs laws uh, to find that there's a quite good gold mine, a seam, if you will, of uh, clients that have been untapped. And which organization should a new lawyer join that would benefit uh, a private international law practice? Uh, well, I'd say the uh, premier association is the International Bar Association. Uh, you also should look into the, usually every state's bar association has subcommittees uh, that specialize in different areas of the law. Here in New York, the New York Bar Association, Bar Association has its international um, subcommittee, international law subcommittee. So that would be a good one to join. Uh, the other aspect I would highly recommend is with regard to arbitration. There's the American uh, Arbitration Association. There is the International Arbitration Association. And these are all open to lawyers who are uh, uh, called to the bar, admitted in their own home jurisdictions, but who are interested in arbitration. And if I can just digress for a minute, um, usually when you establish contracts for international trade, uh, cross-border transactions, turnkey contracts, you will usually put in their provisions for arbitration uh, as opposed to um, going into regular civil court in case of disputes. The reason for that is it costs less. Uh, it usually takes less time to resolve a dispute. And uh, the parties can, a lot of times, enter into some kind of mediation even prior to going into arbitration to settle their differences so that it's much more cost-effective uh, for the participants in any particular transaction. So arbitration associations are very important to international lawyers. Um, I would also just like to add to that, associations of other related professionals, like customs brokers and freight forwarders. Customs brokers and freight forwarders are the technicians of international trade. They are the ones who are licensed to bring in uh, the goods of the importer uh, through customs. And freight forwarders are licensed to take those goods from one point to wherever the final destination is of those goods, i.e. from the port. Uh, they are in constant contact with the actual players in international trade. So if you join those associations, if they, if there are any problems with the clients of customs brokers and freight forwarders that require an international trade lawyer, they will contact you. And that's a great source of clients as well. And how do you, uh, aside from that, mentioning that, how do you develop clients internationally? Uh, well, it's a matter of target marketing, like most things. Um, I'm going to speak from an international trade lawyer's position uh, <laughs> right now. That's uh, what I'm best suited to do. Uh, I would say that, again, as I said, contacting or joining uh, local customs brokers and freight forwarders associations is one way. Uh, also, every foreign uh, embassy, 
down in Washington, D.C., and also uh, they have consulates in New York City because of the U.N., most of these have what they call a commercial attaché. And the commercial attaché's job is to promote trade and business between their country and the United States. And a lot of times they were, are interested in international trade lawyers' information so that they can pass it on to business people in their own country who may need an attorney in the United States for one reason or another. And that is a very good way for you to get straight to those people who are involved in international trade from a particular country in the world. So even particularly if you are someone who's interested in specializing in a region of the world, like Southeast Asia, South America, Africa, that's a good way for you to hit a lot of countries and get some good uh, initial information about their business practices and the potential for doing business with them as an attorney without even having to leave the United States or spend too much on uh, uh, phone calls and, and uh, other communications. And you'll be speaking with somebody who's specifically tasked from that country to advise you on uh, how you can get in touch with their, uh, their uh, commercial um, participants. One final question. What is the best piece of advice you have received? Uh, well, uh, it depends on what you mean by the best piece of advice, i.e. concerning what? I don't mean to be pedantic, but I, I assume you mean in terms of uh, the practice of law, the practice of international trade law? Certainly. Anything that would uh, assist a new lawyer in, uh, in starting out a, uh, a solo office. Okay. Well, with that in mind, I would say cost. Whatever you're going to do, cost out what your overheads are and and make sure as best you can that you are charging for your services what it's going to cost you to provide them in addition to whatever percentage of profit you think is reasonable. And I say that because one of the things that's happening in the world today because of the economic situation is clients are being advised by all kinds of uh, uh, efficiency advisors that you must try and cut costs everywhere you can. And legal services is one of those areas. Now, what happens is they may not consult an attorney as early as they should. So what they'll do is they'll come later when it's kind of a bad situation and they really need your help. Now, the problem is it may be that whatever you are charged to do with them is going to take a certain amount of time. They're going to want to try and get you to, you know, cut your your uh, fees or uh, commit to a specific number as far as uh, how much they will have to pay no matter what happens. I would say the best advice I ever got from an attorney was to avoid that, resist that. Let them know that the situation is such that you have to charge for your time. Now, you can negotiate with them about... Uh, maybe phases. Well, we're going to take an initial retainer and we're going to go to this phase uh, of whatever we have to do and then we can reassess if you want to go forward, it's fine. But just understand that, as Abraham Lincoln said, a lawyer's time is his money. Mm -hmm. And if you lowball yourself, you'll find you'll be getting in trouble very quickly because you won't be able to come out of a case easily. The courts don't like to relieve lawyers just for non-payment of fees. And you will find you're spending a lot of time 
to avoid malpractice, because if you're the attorney of records, you've got to perform to the professional standard, yet until after a certain point, it's not paying you. That would be my best advice. Well, thank you, Charles. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. And a very special thanks to my guest, Attorney Charles Whittier, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Charles. If someone wants to find more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? Uh, They could reach me through my uh, email, which is Charles at Whittier Law, W-H-I-T-T-I-E-R-L-A-W dot com. And my website has that site or that uh, reference, and that's www.whittierlaw.com. And, of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We're out of time. I would like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis. You can find out more about Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com dot com backslash l t n join us next time for another episode of new solo here on the legal talk network have a great day everyone the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by legal talk network its officers directors employees agents representatives shareholders and subsidiaries none of the content should be considered legal advice as always consult a lawyer Thanks for listening to New Solo today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Cal Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.